Greetings, friends, family, and fellow saints saved by grace. This is Dan Kraft of Stirred Not Shaken Ministry bringing you the March of 2022 update. This ministry is dedicated to putting the spotlight on erroneous doctrines that have infiltrated the church. We also bring to light issues in the news that get twisted or buried by the liberal media. Our intention is to keep you informed and aware so you won't be misled into developing erroneous attitudes concerning issues of our day. In a world full of deception, this in turn will help prevent us from burning time, energy, and the focus of our lives. The enemy of our souls would like nothing better than to distract and mislead us into wasting the time given to us by a patient and loving Father God. It is my hope that we use our time righteously and not waste it, as Jesus told Saul, kicking against the pricks. This ministry, like an alarm clock for the church, is crying, Wake up, saints! The time is short, the door is ajar, and our king is coming back. Now in this, the fourth and final segment on Roman Catholicism, we will look at yet another subject that most pastors and most modern-day scholars avoid, or again, do theological contortions to turn a blind eye to the obvious. Uh, I've taken this from a commentary I wrote on Revelation, and in the interest of time, have condensed it down from like a five to six hour study to under an hour. With that in mind, you will be asked to read supporting scripture on your own. We are going to examine Mystery Babylon as described in Revelation chapter 17. In fact, I would ask you to pause this audio and read through Revelation 17 and 18 right now if you can. Okay, we are going to look at 10 indicators of her identity and the timing of her destruction. Well, first off, the timing of her destruction is most certainly within the seven-year period called the Tribulation, or the time of Jacob's trouble, probably in the last three and a half years. Why do I say that? Well, first off, Mystery Babylon is written about in the book of Revelation, which deals largely with events within those seven years. Because the whore, Mystery Babylon, has a close relationship with the beast, i.e. the Antichrist in the revived Roman Empire, its destruction must occur inside that seven-year period. In fact, God uses the ten horns of Revelation 13.1 in her destruction. That one of the bold judgment angels ushers John in the spirit to a place apart, the wilderness, it may be, it's an indicator of when 17 and 18 happen. Uh, we have already established in this study of Revelation, all the bold judgments occur in the second half of the tribulation. Now the big question, the horror, what or who? Well, we can immediately discount any singular person on the basis of the wide scope, geographically and time-wise, of her evil influence. Well, what then? In a nutshell, she is a religious system. When the Bible speaks of Israel mixing the Jewish faith with that of the surrounding pagan religions, it is always referred to as harlotry or whoredoms. Please read uh, Jeremiah chapters 2 through 19. See also Leviticus 
chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, Ezekiel 16 and 23 and others, for whoredom and harlotry as applied to those who should be faithfully following the God of the Bible. Now, such is the case here. The whore, a religious system that re represents God, or says they are, is committing sp spiritual fornication. Religious systems that do not follow or claim to follow the God of the Bible are not committing whoredom. To whom would they be unfaithful? Nor are they ever called such in Scripture. Now, let me say that again. Religious systems such as Islam and the Hindu that do not follow or claim to follow the God of the Bible are not committing whoredom. Again, to whom would they be unfaithful? nor are they ever called such in Scripture. Well, who then? Well, this question has a double answer, for she is a city which seduces the world with her religious system, and a key to clearly understanding the identity is in verse 5 of chapter 17. The name emblazoned on her forehead starts with mystery. If it was the rebuilt Babylon, or the ancient city spoken of, there would be no mystery. Again, if it was the rebuilt Babylon or the ancient city spoken of, there would be no mystery. Now, the term Babylon in John's day was code for Rome. Consider that earlier in Revelation 11:8, Jerusalem is referred to as Sodom and Egypt. So there's like codes. In 1 Peter 5:13 says that the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, salute you, and so does Marcus, my son. Dallas Theological Seminary commentary by Wolvord and Zach states that, according to historical evidence, Peter was in Rome during the final years of his life. Babylon here might be dis a disguised reference to Rome used in order to protect both the Roman church and Peter from Neronian persecution. Now, others suggest, however, that he wrote from the literal city of Babylon on the Euphrates River. Greetings were also sent from Peter's son in the faith uh, by Paul in Colossians 4.10, which placed John Mark in Rome on an earlier occasion. Consequently, most would agree that John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, was in Rome at the time First Peter was written. Now, this strengthens the view that Babylon referred to Rome. Now, after much careful research, I cannot get away from the obvious. Mystery Babylon the Great is Rome with Roman Catholicism. This has been the accepted viewpoint down through the centuries except for those under Roman Catholic sway. Popular ideas, which come mostly from the last 100 years, are rebuilt Babylon in Iraq, uh, New York City with the stock market, or stock market, or Hollywood with its mostly immoral productions. Now, others have equated Mystery Babylon to atheism or the ungodly world system. Now, a few point to the ecumenical church arising in the tribulation that includes, but not limited to, Roman Catholicism. Catholicism. With this, I almost agree, except Roman Catholicism will will be the unquestioned head. She is called Mother of Harlots in verse 5 of 17, and not just another player. It's a good idea to keep all these potential mystery Babylons in mind 
as we look at all the indicators. In this section of the study, I wrote this. Please understand, this study of Scripture in these two chapters, Revelation 17 and 18, is in no way intended to convey any animosity toward individual Catholics or anyone else. It is simply trying to honestly extract what the Bible is telling us. Growing up in a very Catholic household, along with all my relatives, I am aware of the hypersensitivity toward any who would dare say anything against the Roman Catholic Church. I am also aware that those who are in leadership positions in the authentic church at large, being unwilling to address this issue. It is understandable. Who wants to be the bearer of bad news? I certainly don't. The problem here is one of truth. What are the facts? What does actual untainted history tell us? And most important, what do the scriptures say? Remember, in Acts 17.11, uh, it tells us that the Bereans, that they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so, what Paul was preaching. My friends and brothers, so should we. Ultimately, the unveiling of Mystery Babylon comes down to the so what factor. If this study is incorrect, and the whore is some other city system, then it makes little difference in our walk with Jesus. If, however, this is correct, then the so what factor becomes huge. It will, or should, produce a godly burden for those trapped in a compromised system which points to, uh, which posits, excuse me, another gospel. Love of lost souls will drive us to witness to them, and love of self will mute us. Think about it. Saints, there is a mission field right outside our front door. All right, let's have a look at Revelation 17. In verse 1, it says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, or bowls, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. Now, as pointed out in the chapter intro, the timing of the whore's destruction is during the seven-year tribulation period. Also, it is important to recognize that whore, this is real important now, designates spiritual treachery in relationship to God and his truths, like an unfaithful wife is to her husband. The Matthew Henry commentary states that a whore in this passage is one that is married, has been false to her husband's bed, has forsaken the God of her youth, and broken the covenant of God. All right. Indicator number one, that she sits upon many waters, is explained in verse 15 of this chapter, chapter 17, revealing that she sits among the nations, and it tells of her global influence. Now, what potential whores have had this influence? Well, New York, with the stock market, has had this influence since the rise of America. Now, Babylon, at this time, partially and partially rebuilt Babylon, a few buildings, actually does not. Atheistic <clears throat> communism has this right now, and has for about a century. Jerusalem does not, and the ecumenical church has yet to have global significance. Rome, only Rome, and Roman Catholicism has, has had 
tremendous influence around the world for over a millennium. And by the way, guys, the word Catholic means universal. All right, on to verse 2, which says, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So, indicator number two, the kings, rulers, presidents, etc., have engaged in fornication with this harlot system. Remember, biblically, when harlotry is applied to Israel, it is explained as she is supposed to stand upright and follow the God of Israel. Instead, they have mixed rebellion in with their faith. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. And the Believer's Bible Commentary, which I recommend, says in reference to Isaiah 1, verses 21 through 23 of Jerusalem, it is now a harlot city. Bribery and injustice are everywhere. <clears throat> See also Hosea 4, chapter 4, verse 12. My people ask counsel at their stocks and their staff, declaring unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms has caused them to err, and they have gone a whoring from under their God. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, Chuck Smith commented, they're no longer counsel, seeking counsel from God, they're seeking counsel from these little wooden idols they were making. Hosea 4.13 adds, they sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains and burn incense upon the hills. While high places was always a reference to the worship of other gods, most notably Moloch in the Old Testament. Uh, see also Numbers 33.52, Leviticus 26.30, Isaiah 16.12, and so on. Take note that during these instances, the surrounding nations were not accused of harlotry or being a whore because they never have or claimed to represent the God of the Bible. They were pagans following their pagan deities. So in this passage, passage of Revelation, the kings have entered into a relationship with the whore by alliances, deals, the selling of people's souls to this system in exchange for exclusive financial deals, interaction that would intertwine the harlot system with the rulers and ipso facto its people. Their people. The peoples of each kingdom, each country, are made drunk. The city on seven hills has reached with her chief export, which is harlotry, much of the earth. The city system that claimed to represent the God of the Bible has entered into deals with earthly governments as Rome and Roman Catholicism. History is replete with her dealings with various governments and rulers. Uh, just a few here. In 800, Charlemagne, the French king, conquered Rome and put Pope Leo III back on the papal throne in exchange for the Pope placing a crown on his head and being proclaimed Emperor of the West. Charlemagne, under the Pope's direction, worked for 40 years in brutal, brutal military campaigns across Northern Europe. Conquests were accompanied by forcible conversions to Catholicism. Now, much like the Spanish conquistadors would do later in America, 
he would go on and draw up a charter that made the Pope both spiritual and temporal ruler over Italy and the West. In 1266, Pope Innocent III abolished the Roman Senate and placed the administration of Rome directly under his control with a single senator as his deputy. In 1493, a papal bill, etc. I don't know how to pronounce that for sure, uh, was issued. It declared that barbarous nations discovered, and yet to be discovered, should be subjugated to the Catholic faith in order to propagate the Christian empire. So did the Spanish conquistadors. In 1929, Pope Pius XI signs the Lateran Treaty with Mussolini. It made Roman Catholicism, by national law, the sole, sole religion of Italy. Religious education was made compulsory in all schools, and all material had to be approved by the Roman Catholic Church. Criticism of Catholicism, either oral or written, was made a penal offense. In 1933, they signed a concordant with Hitler. This guaranteed that hundreds of millions of dollars would flow to the Roman Catholic Church in taxes. In return, Pius XII would never excommunicate Hitler from the Catholic Church, and nor would he ever raise his voice in protest over the slaughter of six million Jews. These are but a few examples of how Roman Catholicism fits perfectly with Revelation chapter 17, verse 2. Now, indicator number three. In securing treaties and conquering peoples and nations, Catholicism was made the sole religion. When in power, no other is allowed. Thus have countless countless nations, the people of those nations, been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. A partial list of the wine. All right, the lie that Catholicism is the one true church of Jesus Christ. The lie that the Pope speaks inerrantly in Christ's deed. The lie that Jesus is transformed into a wafer by a priest in the Mass and must be sacrificed again and again and again. Uh, in a, look at Hebrews 7, chapter 7, verse 27, Hebrews 9, 25 through 28, chapters 10, 10 through 14, absolutely refute that idea. The lie that sins may be forgiven by praying for a Mass, paying, excuse me, for a Mass. The lie that Sins may be forgiven by paying for indulgences. The lie that salvation comes by believing in God plus, that's believing in God plus being a member of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, believing in God plus attending Mass. Believing in God plus partaking in Catholic rituals. Additionally, from, the, from that, <coughs> from the church that claims it alone represents Christ on earth, we have calling a priest father as, as in a spiritual meaning, which is, was forbidden by Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 9. Repetitious prayers is also forbidden by Jesus in Matthew 6. Praying to Mary or so-called saints as a mediator. Just look at 1 Timothy 2, 5. Uh, kissing, venerating, and praying before statues. Look, it's like black and white. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. 
In regards to the whore's interaction with nations and influences on her people, the Babylon of Iraq has been in ruins for 2,000 years. Recent rebuilding attempts came to a halt with the overthrow of Saddam Hussein. New York. New York City has only been around for two, 246 years. Plus, how does one secular government dealing with another secular government or governments equal harlotry? It doesn't, saints, nor does any commerce. Financial dealings in the secular world cannot equal harlotry. Uh, consider the rich man who gained more, more and more goods and in the process became greedy and trusted in his wealth. His soul, this is from Luke 12, his soul was required of him. The man was foolish, selfish, and greedy, but not guilty of harlotry. Jerusalem would qualify as a city which should point to God. However, Jerusalem, Israel, has not fornicated with the king's countries of the earth. She has in the near Mideast, the countries around her in the ancient past, and as, a, as noted earlier, it was called harlotry. Communism or atheism cannot commit harlotry. It does the opposite of standing for God. It's called unbelief. The ecumenical movement has had no such power or base city in which to move from. Now, I'll end this little section with a quote from Dave Hunt. He says, The fact remains that such a role on the world scene with its unholy alliances, political intrigues, and earthly goals would be anathema to Christ's true bride. All right, let's look at 17.3. So, he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. All right, indicator number four. This woman, the city harlot system, is riding comfortably atop the beast. Comfortably, because the next verse tells us she carries a cup in her, in her hand. Now, the beast is not bucking her, but accepts her presence to the point of carrying her, at this point, in the prophetic timeline. The scarlet-covered beast that is full of names of blasphemy would seem to indicate the imagery of both Daniel and Revelation, some great power. This is proven by the seven heads and ten horns. That is a description given in the preceding chapters. Um, see, again, Revelation 13.1 in my commentary on it. Well, anyway, also Daniel 9, which indicates a revised Roman Empire. Therefore, the woman at this point is using the secular power of the beast to her advantage. The beast is comfortable with the alliance for now. In God's sight, the treacherous whore who is based in a city is in alliance with the revived Roman Empire, which in turn becomes a seat of power for world government. All right, moving on to verse 4 of chapter 17. It says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abomination and filth filthiness of her fornications. This verse 
along with Revelation 18.16, give us another indicator. Indicator number five. Her colors are purple and scarlet. She also has gold, precious stones, and pearls. The, the colors purple and scarlet are not evil in themselves. The same is true for gold, jewels, and pearls. However, given to us as part of her description, we can take from this verse that she dwells in opulence. A rather generic clue at first, but looking at the colors worn by bishops, cardinals, and the pope, it appears that purple and scarlet are the primary ones. Again, Dave Hunt, in his book, A Woman Rides the Beast, said, The colors of purple and scarlet once again identified the woman with both pagan and Christian Rome. These were the colors of the Roman Caesars, with which the soldiers mockingly robed Christ as king. Remember, see Matthew 27, 28, and John 19, which the Vatican took to itself. The woman's colors are literally literally still the colors of the Catholic clergy. Friends, the vast wealth of the Vatican is beyond count. The appetite for wealth seems insatiable. Roman Catholic churches in poor areas are offered minimal help and then are pointed to as examples of the austerity of the church. Yet, besides the immeasurable wealth of the Vatican, other Catholic churches exhibit decadent opulence. And here's one example. The, one, the most famous church in Zaragoza is called Our Lady of the Pillar because of an alleged appearance of the Virgin there. The crown on the image of the Virgin is a 20, is, weighs 25 pounds, <clears throat> set all over with large diamonds. Uh, this report from the 1700s goes on to describe six such crowns and 365 different sets of gold, pearl, and diamond necklaces. Wow. The right and honorable Lord Stanhope, he was a general of the English forces, <clears throat> was shown the, the treasure in the early 1700s. He saw this and he exclaimed, If all the kings of Europe should gather together all their treasures and precious stones, they could not buy half of the riches of this treasury. And that was the wealth close to 300 years ago, in one church in Spain. This opulence is a far cry from the fishermen and ordinary men of the Bible who carried the message of the cross. Now, indicator number six. Holding the souls of men hostage to her unbiblical ritualistic system in the name of Christ, while fleecing them, mining them, is not only harlotry, <coughs> but one part of her abominations. As noted before, making deals with rulers in order to subjugate all the people, peoples of each nation into her quasi-Christian religious system is spiritual fornication. Her cup is full of such. All right, on to verse 5, which says, And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Indicator number 7, the name upon her forehead. 
As previously noted in the introduction of this chapter, if the whore was the city Babylon, there would be no mystery. Remember, Peter's reference to it in 1 Peter 5.13 was looked upon as code for Rome by many scholars before the 20th century. A deeper look at the Babylon equal Babylon and Iraq theory. Now those who hold <clears throat> to the modern idea that Revelation 17.18 referred to a, re a future rebuilt city of Babylon in Iraq is it's based on the Bible, but <clears throat> let's look at some of the background here. Liberty Bible Commentary states that the city of Babylon was this was the seat of a great empire dominating the ancient world from the fall of the Assyrian Empire with the capture of Nineveh in 1612 BC until 536 BC. The city um, continued until about AD 100 and today there are a number of cities like Hilla which have utilized the sun-dried and kiln-baked baked bricks of the ancient city to build new walls and houses and dams and so forth. The Babylon of Iraq, that saying that's the whore, can be taken by the passages that speak of her destruction in the last days, such as Isaiah 13, 1, 6, and 9. Um, also, that Isaiah 14, 1 through 7 tells us that the king of Babylon during the end times will be a ruthless oppressor. Now, it does sound like the Antichrist. That is a fair argument for a rebuilt actual Babylon, but let's look at the other side of this. <clears throat> the Bible indicates that after Babylon is conquered by the Medes, it will become a heap of ruins and never be built again. Guys, look at Isaiah chapter 13, verses 17 through 20. Also, Jeremiah 51, 11. The Medes conquered in 539 BC and the city went into sharp decline. By the time Alexander the Great arrived 200 years later, it was in ruins. He was going to rebuild it. But after making that announcement, shortly after he died, his generals abandoned the city and moved the capital to a new city they built called Seleucia. Babylon became a heap of ruins, just as Isaiah 13 prophesied. Oh, Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild it as a tourist attraction. He built a palace for himself on the outskirts of the ancient city, and he restored some of the ruins, but it remains a desolate heap of ruins for the most part. There is also a group called the World Monuments Fund that's trying to raise money to rebuild Nebuchadnezzar's palace, but that's only for a tourist attraction. Mm. There is an interesting Babylon and Rome connection. Uh, again, from the uh, Zuck, excuse me, uh, commentary. He says, <coughs> Babylon was important, not only politically, but also religiously. Nimrod, who founded Babylon, look at Genesis chapter 10, 
had a wife known as Semiramis, who founded the secret religious rites of the Babylonian mysteries, according to accounts outside the Bible. Semiramis had a son with an alleged miraculous conception who was given the name Tammuz, in effect was a false fulfillment of the promise of the seed of the woman given to Eve in Genesis 3. Now, various religious practices were observed in connection with this false Babylonian religion, including recognition of the mother and child as God and of creating an order of virgins who became religious prostitutes. Tammuz, according to the tradition, was killed by a wild animal and then restored to life. They say, yeah, they say tannic anticipation and counterfeit of Christ's resurrection. Scripture condemns this false religion repeatedly. Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 44, um, Ezekiel 8. All right. After the Persians took over Babylon in 539 BC, they discouraged the continuation of the mystery religions of Babylon. <clears throat> Subsequently, the Babylonian cultists moved to Pergamum, or Pergamos, uh, where one of the seven churches of Asian Minor was located. Yeah, look, look at uh, one of the letters from uh, Jesus, uh, Revelation 2. 12 through 17 was to Pergamus. Crowns in the shape of fish of a fish head were worn by the chief priests of the Babylonian cult to honor the fish god. The crowns bore, bore the words keeper of the bridge, symbolic of the bridge between man and Satan. This handle was adopted by the Roman emperors, emperors who used the Latin title Pontifex Maximus which means major keeper of the bridge. And the same title was later used by the Bishop of Rome. The Pope today is often called the Pontiff, which comes from Pontifex. When the teachers of the Babylonian mystery religion later moved from Pergamum to Rome, they were influential in paganizing Christianity and were the source of many so-called religious rites, which have crept into ritualistic churches today. <clears throat> Babylonian worship of Semiramis and the child Tammuz spread around the world. And you can see this in statues all over the place, uh, all over the globe. She is depicted with a child in her arms and the rays of glory around her head. Now, as far back as Jeremiah... In chapter 17, 18 through 20, and 44, 17 through 19, goddess worship was warned about and forbidden. <clears throat> it seems that the early church in Rome, after Constantine's so-called conversion, adopted a market-driven and seeker-friendly approach to gaining members. Instead of having to repent from carried-over Babylonian mother-child worship, they could keep their graven images, rename them Mary and Jesus, and mix pagan beliefs with Christianity. This created a mixture from the start. Babylonian or Babylon mystery religion lived on in Roman Catholicism. Uh, Alright, 17 verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, 
I wondered with great admiration. <clears throat> Indicator number eight. She is drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. This tells us that the whore will be, will be guilty of murdering many real Christians, so many that she is drunk with their blood. It's a rather straightforward meaning, isn't it? The astonishing fact today is, rarely does any Christian, including pastors, elders, teachers, evangelists, and missionaries, know real church history. Most know the secular Rome's persecution of Christians, you know, them being thrown into the arena with hungry lines and such. But what is largely forgotten and ignored, <clears throat> or ignored, is the Inquisition, which was fueled and run by the Catholic Church toward Christians who wouldn't bow to the papacy nor accept the Mass and the Eucharist as biblical. They were labeled heretics, and the number of martyrs is staggering. Failure to give, and this is from uh, Dave Hunnigan, A Woman Rides the Beast. I, I highly recommend you buy, get the book and read it. It's just chock full of uh, information on this. Failure to give wholehearted allegiance to the Pope was considered treason against the state and punishable by death. Now here was the basis for slaughtering millions. Historian Will Durant wrote this. He said, compared with the persecution of heresy in Europe, uh, which ran from 1227 to 1492, well, we'll just take that time period, the persecution of Christians by Romans in the first three centuries after Christ was a mild and humane procedure. Making every allowance, he goes on now, this is Will Durant, the historian, he goes, making every allowance required by an historian and permitted to a Christian, we must rank the Inquisition as among the darkest blots on the record of mankind revealing a ferocity unknown in any beast. <clears throat> now, Catholic apologists try to claim it was the work of the state. However, the penalties were executed by the civil authorities, but only as the secular arm of the church. Pope Innocent III stated that we give you a streak, streak, we give you a strict command that by whatsoever means you can, you destroy all these heresies. Suppress them with the sword. <clears throat> he went on to offer indulgences to the king and nobles of France for their aid in this effort. To Philip Augustus, in return for such aid, the Pope offered the lands of all who should fail to join in a crusade against the Albigensians. <clears throat> now there is much evidence of the Inquisition being ordered by the authority of the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, guys, I highly recommend uh, at least two DVDs to watch. One of them is called A Lamp in the Dark by Chris Pinto, and the other A Woman Rides the Beast by Dave Hunt. Like I said, better yet, get the book, A Woman Rides the Beast. Now, the Lollards, the Anabaptists, the Albigenses, the Waldenses, were hunted to almost extermination. Whole populaces were tortured and murdered. And yeah, the Office of Inquisition is still in effect today. 
Although the number of innocent Christian victims is up for debate, the extent of unrelenting torture and execution for hundreds of years should give one an, an idea. Dave Hunt in a, in a Woman Rides the Beast book documents this heinous act by the Roman Catholic Church, and he uses Catholic writers themselves to authenticate much of it. Here's one example from Spain alone. The Horrid Conduct. Now this is uh, written by the official Catholic secretary to the Spanish Inquisition uh, around 1792. He says, The Horrid Conduct of this Holy Office Inquisition diminished the population of Spain by immolating on its flaming shambles more than 300,000 victims. Drunk with the blood of the saints? No one other than Rome can be the whore. No other qualifies. John marveled at the sight of her. He was astonished that the professing church of his day could become so degenerate in a coming day. On to verses 7 through 9. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of this woman and the beast that carries her which hath seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they beheld the beast that was and is not and yet is. Or when they behold, excuse me. And <clears throat> here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, now, looking ahead to verse 18, we see that she is a city. This city reigneth. It has authority over rulers of the earth. This verse gives a clue. Now, indicator number nine. The seven heads equal seven mountains. The whore is a city, sits on them. Rome alone qualifies. The city of seven hills. Now, Rio de Janeiro has seven hills, but... But remotely, no other indicator. The ruins of Babylon sit on a pancake flat terrain. Um, Vict Vict Victorinus of Pateau died in 304, who wrote one of the first commentaries on the book of Revelation, and himself was a Catholic. He identified Rome as the city of seven hills in Revelation 17. Yeah. Consequently, he was martyred by the Emperor Diocletian. The Catholic Encyclopedia states that it is within the city of Rome, called the City of Seven Hills, that the entire area of Vatican State proper is now confined. <clears throat> Dave Hunt states, As for mystery, that name imprinted on the woman's forehead is the perfect designation for Vatican City. Mystery is at the very heart of Roman Catholicism. Um, from the words Mysterium Fide, pronounced at the alleged transformation of the bread and wine into the literal body and blood of Christ to the So you see Catholics, by the way, are believe they're eating, or whether they know or not, this is what the dogma says. You're eating Jesus, for real. <clears throat> um the bread and, uh, and wine into the literal body 
and blood of Christ to the enigmatic apparitions of Mary around the world, every sacrament from baptism to extreme unction manifests the mysterious power which the faithful must believe the priest willed, but for which there is no visible evidence. Rome's new catechism explains that liturgy aims to initiate the souls into the mystery of Christ. It is mystagogy. And that all the church's liturgy is mystery. Vatican City is within Rome, the city of seven hills. On to verse 15. And he said unto me, The waters which you saw where the horse sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now this verse explains what is meant by the great whore that sitteth upon many waters in verse 1. She sits on or influences people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. A vast area of influence. On to verses 16 and 17. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked, and they shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. The ten powerful sub-rulers under the global savior slash antichrist will eventually turn on the whore and destroy her. In verse 18, like I mentioned before, then the, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The indicator number 10, the woman, the whore, Mystery Babylon, is a city that sits on seven hills and has great global influence. This can be no other than Rome. Dave Hunt, again, in The Woman Rides the Beast, states that consider, for, for example, the arrogant imperialism of Pope Alexander III in 1159 to 1181, declaring that the power of the popes is superior to that of princes, and Alexander excommunicated Frederick Run, Frederick I, Holy Roman Emperor, King of Germany and Italy. Attempting to chastise the Pope, Frederick's forces were defeated by the Pope's army. The, chast chast the chastened Emperor came to Venice to beg forgiveness and absolution, promising to submit always to the Roman Catholic Church. Imagine a church ruling the world by military might. Uh, Fortunatus Ulmus, a Catholic historian, enthusiastically described the scene. He says, When the emperor arrived in the presence of the pope, he laid aside his imperial mantle and knelt on both knees with his breast on the earth. Pope Alexander advanced and placed his foot on his neck, and while the cardinals thundered forth in loud tones, Thou shalt tread upon the cockatrice and crush the lion and the dragon. The next day, Frederick Barbarossa kissed the feet of Alexander and on foot led his horse by the bridle as he returned from solemn mass to the pontifical palace. The papacy had now risen to a height of grandeur and power which it had never reached before. The sword of Peter had conquered the sword of Caesar. Uh, the influence that popes have had upon the world leaders is an established fact. 
In chapter 17, the great whore was described to John by a bull judgment angel, signifying that the destruction of her will take place in the second half of the tribulation. Chapter 18 tells of her destruction as a judgment from God. But before that happens, we have God appealing to real believers caught in her web. In chapter 18, verse 4, says this, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. So indicator number 12. My people can only mean real believers. God here is employing the readers of the book of Revelation. This cry from heaven, God himself, while the angel is talking with John, seems to be inserted as a warning to any real believer reading the scripture to leave the false system of Catholicism. It is an appeal that I will repeat. In her, Mystery Babylon, city of seven hills, considered by God himself to be a whore, which can only mean spiritual infidelity, whose chief colors are purple and red and has a history of making deals with and subjugating governments around the world in order to export her sorceries and control the souls of men, in her is the stamp of guilty to murdering real Christians, while pushing her false system and all the while arrogantly portraying herself as representing the God of the Bible. This can only be Rome with Roman Catholicism. Dear saint, who is trapped into thinking that Catholicism is just another flavor of Christianity, come out, leave her and all her ungodly, anti-biblical, heretical doctrines, and leave that behind. Walk in the freedom of Christ where man-made rituals can no longer hold you. Leave. Follow Christ and his word. Don't by your allegiance prop up a false Christianity. Come out of her, dear saint. There is a judgment coming. This is Dan Kraft of Stirred Not Shaken Ministry. Maranatha, 